Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello there and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Hello, Kieran. Hello there, Onzi. Envy is probably not a very healthy emotion to carry around. I try not to be too envious of others on a day-to-day basis. My hair, my height, of course, on yeah. <laughs> but when I think of those jammy, bloody Irish rugby fans who travel to Chicago for the game against the All Blacks and now find themselves in the middle of the World Series celebrations, well, let's just say I hope you realise the magnitude of what you're witnessing there, OK? We're talking about arguably the biggest sports city in America. Their beloved baseball team wins the big prize for the first time in more than 100 years. And they do it in the most dramatic circumstances possible, coming from three games down, three games to one down in a best-of-seven series then almost blowing the deciding game after doing the hard work late last night in Cleveland. They got there in the end. Here's how they called it on Chicago radio station WSCR. A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. The Cubs come pouring out of the dugout. Jumping up and down like a bunch of delirious 10-year-olds. The Cubs have done it. The longest drought in the history of American sports is over, and the celebration begins. Sorry, was that the 1908 broadcast? <laughs> <or> the- <laughs> <laughs> nice. He did. That's a that's a classic sounding radio broadcast. And quite right there. yeah, quite understated as commentators yeah. used to be. There's not as much bombast. I quite like that actually. I was even myself and Simon were discussing this earlier, and we're thinking it doesn't quite have the madness that you might expect yeah. but I almost like it even more for that it's it's understated he doesn't need to oversell this thing mm. he just gets the job done can Beautiful. I make can I make a prediction a, what, a prediction if Mayo win the All-Ireland final next September mm-hmm. um, Mike Finnerty John Casey and Billy Fitzpatrick on MWR are going to be a little bit more excited than that <laughs> yeah I probably think so especially in those kind of circumstances yeah. any circumstances but listen we don't have to keep talking about Mayo You're, you've been had your head in the coverage all morning of the yeah, and it, it has been it, it has been very good. It does it's it's life affirming stuff. Uh, Bill Murray was at the middle of it. You'll all be happy to hear. I mean, this was this was basically happening at you know six a.m. this morning, Irish so time. Irish time. So 
uh, I think actually the Cubs left the field at 2.15 a.m. Uh, their time, which is actually quarter past seven this morning. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, she's really, uh, it's middle of the night stuff, early morning stuff. But uh, Bill Murray uh, took over Fox Sports coverage of the event and was conducting post-match interviews with Theo Epstein and players and spraying champagne. And <laughs> it is pretty, I mean, if you're going to have a celebrity fan, it might as well be Bill Murray, really, to be fair. I mean, I don't know that you could pick a better uh, actual celebrity fan who's been to loads and loads of games in Bill Murray. So he deserves it. They deserve it. The Cubs organization deserves it. It's a great story. We'll talk about all of that with US Murph coming right up. I believe our rugby lads can take some inspiration from this. You got, you know, the curse of the Bambino is long gone, the Red Sox mm. curse. The OF scene was also the man responsible for banishing that curse, Murph. Um, the curse of the Billy Goat now, of course. That's mm-hmm. Chicago, That's gone. So why not finally get rid of the curse of the New Zealand traditionally having a far stronger rugby team than us? Mm. Curse. Why not get rid of that one? I know, I know. It's, it's, we, we probably need a more compelling backstory than them being better than us at rugby for <laughs> the entire history of the mm. sport. You know, there's no priest, no funeral, no ghost, no, you know, we didn't sell Brian O'Driscoll to New Zealand 15 years ago or anything. <laughs> Nothing like that, no. You know, there's no, there, there, there is no compelling backstory, but it, all the same, a curse needs lifting and we have a chance on Saturday. Gordon Darcy is an upbeat guy. We've got him in studio today, so we'll see whether he thinks we have a chance. I had a great column this week in the Irish Times, actually, about the 2013 match at Land's End Road. If you get onto irishtimes.com, you can see him breaking down that game in quite a bit of detail. It's, it's painful, and we're going to make Gordon revisit that again today, but with a view to correcting the few mistakes he made that day ahead of the match on Saturday. Ali Williams, he's been on the right side of this fixture on a number of occasions, World Cup winner with the All Blacks. So he's going to join us from Paris, where he has restarted his playing career. He was part of that brilliant Toulon team that won the three European Cups. He retired, but is now back. So we'll talk a bit about that, but then we'll get into the, the game itself. But first... Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. We're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Brian Murphy, go Cubs! I guess, uh, guys. I mean, we're we're only like a few hours removed from. I, I I hate the word surreal. I hate it because it's like the word that people default to when they don't have better words, and it means they're not skilled word people. <laughs> but this is surreal. I've never, never thought I would live in a world where the Chicago Cubs are World Series champions. It is one of the. One of the safest bets in all of U.S. sports, world sports, intergalactic sports, intergalactic life, that the Chicago Cubs are not meant to win the World Series. It's just a law of life, an immutable law, like gravity. And I honestly am, like, having trouble forming the words Chicago Cubs World Series. It's even – I just – it's weird to say it right now with you guys. So uh, I guess it's best explained. I, I, it's bright, early in the morning here in the States. I'm looking at the San Francisco Chronicle Sporting Green and the be- the banner headline under over a picture of Cubs running out on the field and hugging just simply says, "Hell freezes over." <laughs> I think that's about that's about as good as it gets. Because guys, I, it is truly, truly 
a bizarro world, as they said in Seinfeld, where just everything you ever believed, the opposite is now true. And we're only a few hours removed, so this is still going to be a multi-layered process here in this country of processing. But of course, in Chicago, all they're doing is crying, laughing, dancing, smiling, drinking, champagneing. And having their minds blown, guys. And they didn't just crawl over the line. I mean, it was a pretty dramatic way to win. For for those of us who didn't stay up until the, in the middle of the night over here, how exactly <laughs> did they get the job done? I actually think I, I think by the time it ended, guys, it would have been in time for your morning commute. Uh, <laughs> because what a an epic, epic four-and-a-half-hour game that went on. Yes, yeah, first of all, extra innings. You know, you guys know everybody, I'm, I'm sure some Irish might need a refresher. Baseball goes nine innings, but if you're tied, you go extras. And there's no clock in baseball. That's the big thing. That's what, the romantics who love baseball and those who are bored to death by it use this uh, b- both – as a praise and a criticism of baseball, that there is no clock, meaning you, the game's not over until the last out's made. I guess it's sort of like cricket in that way, where it can go on for days. But this one went extras. And when you get it, first of all, the World Series, as we know, the Fall Classic, the most enduring American sports tradition, when it goes to seven games, people sit up and pay attention. We've many times on this show talked about the demise of baseball TV ratings and all that although the NFL is another story this year. But um, when you get to a Game 7, the country finally sits up and pays notice. That's when you get really good TV ratings. Well, when you talk about a Game 7 that goes into extra innings, you're talking about the rarest of error. In fact, you can count on one hand, I think, the, the number of times a Game 7 has gone into extra innings. So you're talking about the ultimate, maximum drama where the next run that scores, basically wins the World Series, or if you're the home team, that's if you're the home team, if you're the visiting team, if you can score and then hold the other team for just three outs, you win the World Series. And that's what happened last night. We went to extra innings, and it went in incredible fashion because the Cubs came out. Now, mind, guys, this isn't sort of like a 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team where a bunch of college kids beat the Russians who were supposed to be the best team. The Cubs were the heavy favorite in this series. Their guy, Theo Epstein, we've talked about it, has done a spectacular job of assembling a five-year plan where he assembled the best young talent in the game. They were won 103 games, which is the most of any team in all Major League Baseball. So they were the best team, but still they had this huge, huge curse of history and this huge yoke of history to get over. But they came out like gangbusters, and the Cleveland Indians, as game as they were, were down big late in the game. It appeared to be that it was all over. It was a 6-3 to three Cubs lead in the eighth inning, and the Cubs manager, Joe Madden, who's a likable guy, but a guy that a lot of people were starting to doubt his moves because he relied on this very, very, very controversial flamethrower closer named Araldis Chapman, who they got from the Yankees in the midseason. Araldis got some bad publicity in the offseason by being arrested for domestic violence, involved choking his girlfriend and firing a gun against a wall near her. It was a very, very bad story. So a lot of people on the outside have thought, ooh, this is karmically a bad deal. We don't like Araldis Chapman. It's a bummer that he's a cub. It's kind of ruining their warm and fuzzy story. Well, sure enough, guys, the old karmic come up and he choked. He coughed up three runs in the bottom of the eighth, including a stunning two-run homer from a non-home run hitter named Rajay Davis that tied the game 6-6. Six to six. And, I mean, the world tilted. The, the American sports world tilted on its axis because not only were the Cubs now going to lose the World Series when they were poised to win it, they were going to choke it in spectacular fashion. It was going to be an unbelievable collapse. And th- now you knew that the Billy Goat curse was for real and forever because they were going to blow Game 7. And instead... They got through the ninth inning tied, and then the craziest thing happened, guys. A rain cell moved through Cleveland, and Major League Baseball decided to stop the game. 
in the middle of everything, when people were at their most freaked out and energized and panicked and, and, and shrieking. And here came the tarp, because in baseball, you can stop for a rain delay and come back. Well, the umpires had information that a rain cell was coming through, but that it would pass. So they stopped the game for about 17 minutes. And lo and behold, the Cubs came out and came out firing and boom, crushed the Cleveland relievers for two runs in the top of the 10th inning. Mind, the Indians rallied back for a run in the bottom of the 10th and had a runner on base when the last runner grounded out to third. Their star young baseman, Chris, uh, young third baseman Chris Bryant fielded it, threw it to their star first baseman, Anthony Rizzo, and the Cubs had, had done it. They'd thrown off 108 years of, of nothingness and are now the toast of the country, boys. Apparently, that uh, that rain delay, during that rain delay, the players of the Cubs got together themselves. There was a, an emotional players-only meeting, the kind of thing that usually would happen on the eve of a game or something like this. It seems amazing that in the middle of all this, there's this 17-minute uh, delay where nobody's really doing anything. And you're right. This rain, like I said, we're still only hours removed, so things are still settling in people's brains. But when the movie script that's going to get green-lighted gets green-lighted, it might open with that meeting, the quote-unquote quote weight room meeting called by uh, a Cubs outfielder, Jason Hayward, who actually was not playing very well at all, but apparently lent his biggest, uh, his biggest addition to the team by calling a team meeting in the weight room at Progressive Field in Cleveland where they did one of these, you know, so-called come-to-Jesus moments, look into each other's eyes. What are we all about? Let's, boys, let's believe in each you know, everything you want, every remember the Titans movie scene or remember uh, Rocky or whatever you want. In fact, they did adopt Rocky as their mantra when they were down 3-1. That was the uh, the movie they had playing on every TV in their clubhouse the last three games was Rocky's 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 playing simultaneously on every movie, which is funny because it's the ultimate Philadelphia movie and they're a Chicago team, but hey, details, details, guys. <laughs> but uh, yes, this rain delay, they were immediately crediting with getting their heads right Sort of like uh, analogous to a few years ago when the Super Bowl, the 49ers were getting blown out by the Baltimore Ravens and the lights went out at the New Orleans Superdome in a very bizarre deal. And the Niners came off of a half-hour electrical delay and stormed all the way back to almost win the Super Bowl. Well, the Cubs used this rain delay to have this moment to look into each other's eyes, boys. You know, what are we all about, boys? Let's go do it for each other, boys. And sure enough, it is. They all that that was the reason that they refocused we're not going to blow it. Took the 71-year-old goat curse, the 108-year drought, the fact that they're American punchlines. They're, they're a joke, right? They're, they're a joke. The constant in sports is that the Cubs are the lovable losers. Boys, they are the lovable losers no more. Brian, I saw, and we'll let you get on there because I know you do have a show to do in a few minutes' time. Quick word on Bill Murray seemed to steal the show as the, <laughs> we were talking about celebrity fans last week. He was in the midst of all the celebrations. I mean, almost as prominent as a player, really. (laughs) I mean, seriously, that's how he wound up being featured by the media. And, you know, it speaks to several things. One, just, you know, the guy's just made an unbelievable string of movies for 40 years. So the guy has incredible street cred with everybody, Uh, even though he's getting a little long in the tooth. And, you know, it's been a while since we saw Stripes or Caddyshack or Saturday Night Live or Groundhog Day or Pick Your Bill Murray movie. Uh, he has that it factor that represented the Cubs. Now, we had talked about it last week now, like who's a real fan and who isn't. He truly, truly, truly is. And and to see him get a little uh, emotional talking about, you know, thinking about his mom and his dad, you know, th- that's a universal sports thing, whether it's, I don't know, hurling, Gaelic football, the, uh, European football, uh, you know, American football, I don't know, whatever sport you want, Japanese baseball. When, when 
emotional things happens to teams for the first time in a long, long time. There's always that talk of those gone by. I remember when the Giants won their first World Series in 2010, there was a lot of that going on at the parade, a lot of posters commemorating grandparents who have gone on to the great beyond, visits to cemeteries. That was a big thing in the Red Sox when they won in 04, people visiting cemeteries and laying Red Sox hats and things like that and all that. So Murray was talking about his, his thinking about going to Wrigley Field with his dad when he was a kid. You rarely see Bill Murray sincere. In mind, he did do a lot of goofing off. He, he kind of acted as a the roving reporter for Fox Sports, and you can see all that stuff on the web. You just look up at Fox Sports' uh, MLB Twitter feed. There's all sorts of shots of him in the clubhouse celebrating, champagning, trying to do one-liners and jokes. But he did get emotional and talked about uh, you know, the ultimate American baseball thing, remembering going to the park with your dad. So he's a true Cubs fan, and he, he was, uh, I think, swept away by the moment, but also riffing away like Bill Murray. So he's kind of the face of the Chicago <laughs> fan today. And like I said, guys, we still got a parade to do. Yeah, absolutely. Brian, surreal stuff. Go and enjoy your show. All right, boys. Surreal indeed. Take care. It's earned by five points, 22 to 17. It's available here now. Ireland inching their way towards the 22. Mike McCarthy would never hold on to it as he tried to pass it. McCarthy for Ireland. It's back with Luke Fitzgerald to mind the fancy stuff. We have 30 seconds remaining. Back there, the referee's whistle has gone. It's a penalty for New Zealand. Oh, I don't believe it. It's about possession. You crossed this line. Do you find it hard to see it when we do tonight? Trying to drive him over now. Murray clears it away. Best. And he's over. Very best. They've got two. Hang about the All Blacks can cross for some special tries. You won't see a better one than that this year. What a build up. chance, one spin of the dice for both teams as New Zealand have it now back with Aaron Smith, towards Cruden to Kieran Reid, Kieran Reid tries to get around Kevin McLaughlin he's brought play inside the Ireland half of the pitch, across on that far side it's with Ben Smith, time is up here New Zealand desperately trying to get their hands at the ball, back with Manano, Manano now gets it free towards Ryan Craddy, inside the 22 metre line New Zealand sweeping in to Cruden, Cruden in a midfield possession to Frank Seas Stopped there as tracks by Jamie Heaston. He doesn't release. Back with Aaron Smith. New Zealand have numbers now. Across from the far side of the pitch as they go away with this one and cut through the cover. There's massive defence by Ireland. They're trying to gather this one back. Four yards short to the line. It's come back to Van Anu. Man now comes with it. Darcy tackles onto ground. The man from the Lansdowne Club with uh, New Zealand now to have it. Swept it back to Cruden. Moves it out on the near side towards Dane Coles. Get through the cover. New Zealand through Ryan Crotty. Getting for the try on the near side of the pitch. Oh, yeah, I don't believe it. Ryan Crotty scores! Oh, my goodness! They've managed it. It's 22 each. 
There you have it, an audibly stunned US Murph. I love that Hell Freezes Over headline. Yeah, that's pretty good. That is very, very good. Uh, I think the only Irish people who probably saw this live were either absolute diehards mm. or parents with very, very young infant children who may have slightly irregular sleep patterns. I'm looking at you, Simon Nick. <laughs> I have been keeping up with the World Series, usually at around 3, 4 a.m., whenever my uh, daughter decides to wake up. But I put her back to bed last night and then carried on um, and stuck with it. And it was things were looking like it was an easy enough finish. I even thought around the seventh inning, this is safe enough. The Cubs are up by three. It was 6-3 at the time. And then, of course, Cleveland come back into it. And then there's a, I fell asleep during the rain delay. Basically, I tried my absolute oh, that was no, That's yeah. heroic, in fairness. Yeah. But at one point, the, the, like the, the coverage of it is so good, uh, of the baseball. But mm. at one point, um, they went to two of the Cubs players on the sideline. Uh, who were mic'd up as they do in American sport. During, this is during the game? During the game. And the Cubs were leading at the time. It was 6-3 as well. And uh, as I said, they were looking comfortable. And it's Anthony Rizzo, a young enough player, speaking to David Ross, who's 39, a catcher. It's his last ever game of bo- baseball, David Ross. And Rizzo, it, it just has his arm around him, is looking up into David Ross's eyes. David Ross looks older than 39. He looks 45. <laughs> um, and he's trying to contain his own nerves. And Rizzo is just looking up into David Ross's eyes and looking for some sort of comfort in this hellishly uh, nervous moment. I hear you. I'm an emotional wreck. Uh, well, you're, it's only going to get worse. Just continue to breathe. That's all you can do, buddy. It's only going to get worse. That's all you can do. It's only going to get worse. I'm in a glass case of emotion right now. Yeah, yeah. Wait till the ninth with this three-run lead. It's only going to get worse. I'm not sure that was great advice. No. I'm in a glass case of emotion, he said there. He's quoting Anchorman. He couldn't be that, he can't be that nervous. I was tweeting about the Cubs earlier and the amount of people who mentioned the name Steve Bartman to me, mm. as in they've got to get Steve Bartman involved in the celebration. Steve Bartman has to be paraded on opening day of next season or on a float during the victory parade, which is going to take place. I'm not sure if that's confirmed yet. It's either Friday or Monday. It's, uh, if it's Friday, I'd say the, those Irish rugby fans would be happy enough. Nice bit of credit. But Steve Bartman Murphy was a man who cost the Cubs a, a, a fan of the Cubs, who cost mm. him a place in the World Series over a decade ago. Yeah, so in 2003, in the NLCS, which is uh, the divisional final, the semi-final leading to the final, which is the World Series, Chicago are 3-0 up, holding a 3-2 lead in the best-of-seven series against the Florida Marlins. Uh, ball goes out towards the crowd. Uh, if the Cubs uh, fielder, uh, Moses Alou... Yeah, so it's a Marlins ball, like yeah. the Marlins ba- batter has hit it. So if uh, Alou catches it, uh, there are four outs from the World Series. Bartman sticks his hand over the fence, tries to catch it. Uh, the <laughs> Alou freaks out, starts shouting at him. They obviously lose the game 8-3, lose game 7, and Bartman's basically run out of town on a rail. Mm. Um, his And his, his life, in a very real way is changed irrevocably in that one moment. Uh, he never speaks to the media about it. Uh, he has to basically live in hiding. His address is made public on message forums, on the internet. And yeah, his life, his life is hell. And so now they're saying, 13 years later, after we've ruined your life, hey, why don't you come and join the party? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm know. with you on this one. If yeah. I'm Steve Bartman, uh, whatever about the Cubs as a club, the rest of the, the fans, fans. like yeah. I don't know if you've seen Catching Hell, the ESPN documentary about it, but the abuse, the abuse he got on the way out of the ground was vicious, right? And you could say, okay, tensions running high, whatever. He made a mistake. He he caught a ball. You go to baseball to catch a home run. He made a ball. He prevented his, you know, he essentially prevented 
his fielder from catching the ball mm. by <laughs> ducking his hand down and and, uh, and catching it himself. But Bartman, the, the vitriol was insane. Level towards him, his life was completely yeah. uh, affected in Police a negative protection way. Protection for a time, the whole lot. Like, I, his life I, was really. If I, if I was Bartman now, I think I'd be saying, you know what? Just because you guys won now, uh, just because the Cubs won, it doesn't change anything that I did at that moment. So maybe the call could have come a little earlier than this, and I'd be back and I'd be paraded around. But I'm Steve Bartman, and I'm not going to join your parade. <laughs> That's what I'd say if I was Steve Bartman. Now uh, we've heard a little bit, or we will hear a little bit later on, I should say, from Ali Williams. But here's a man who played against New Zealand in that famous game in 2013. Amongst other matches, Gordon Darcy has joined us in the studio. Gordon, how are things? How are you doing? It's a game, I guess, that until we beat New Zealand, we're probably going to keep going back to that one as the one that got away. There's that one. There's a couple of others as well. I think uh, listening to Keith Wood uh, during the week, and he was talking about they had a he had their moment where he again a little bit of composure in the second half got away from them. New Zealand did what they always do. They they, they capitalised. I think 2012 in Hamilton mm. was another game that um, I suppose with the with with the match of the weekend you kind of gone back and you're looking at them and you're looking at these games and uh, I suppose just dissecting them again and. Uh, I don't know. They say lightning never strikes twice, but it seems Nigel had a different interpretation of the uh, the scrum rule in in that game in Hamilton, and they go seventy five meters, get a drop goal, and win the match. And he pinged us out again in twenty thirteen. Yeah, yeah. So we're blaming um, the ref. That's the thing to do. No, one hundred percent not blaming <laughs> not blaming the ref. Um, but in the context of the game, to give a penalty for going off your feet in the seventy ninth minute, having and both teams haven't played excellent rugby. Was an odd decision in my book, and just in the, in the in the ebb and flow of the game, there was no need to give that penalty. Yeah, I remember we spoke to you a few days after that game in 2013. I was just listening back to it then. It was say so it was a bag of fun, was it? It was a bag. Yeah, it was nonstop. <laughs> it was a gag a minute kind of an interview. No, but it was. It was really quite powerful actually. And uh, you talked at the time about it being the worst changing room you'd been in. And I was interested in reading your Irish Times column this week that you kind of maintained that 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 was that was one. That that was a type of feeling that you maybe hadn't was was as bad as you had probably because of the most the, painful dressing room you've ever been most in. Most painful you've been. Yeah, I think so. Um, just I think there's a couple of elements to this equation as well. Not just losing to the All Blacks. It was I think I to, uh, I, d- I did talk about the I suppose sporting mortality that was being faced. Um, having joked about having to spend quite a lot of time over the previous decade in New Zealand and never getting the win. There was always. You could there was always another match on the horizon, and you could always kind of felt that you could get to that. And that was for me that was that moment when I realised after the game, this doesn't happen again. You don't get to face the All Blacks again. You don't get to try and make history. And a lot of a, a lot of that, I suppose, sunk in. And um, I think when you're alone with your own thoughts, that's quite. Uh, it's a little bit surreal, but then it can be quite emotional and having to, again, you know, taking words I've already used this week, but having to digest these emotions and trying to have to find a silver lining and trying to have to find something to not get you out of bed and not talking about that level, but something that has to kick you on for the for the rest of your career. I like the point you made in that article that even though your non-rugby life was more balanced than it had ever been, it was still... It still hurt more than when you were younger, and it, as you say, it was because of that feeling of no further chances. And every time we play New Zealand, it's like uh, it's like we're facing history, and we talk about history. And Ulton Deland did it again this week. You know, it's a it's a shot at history for New Zealand. You know, they're coming into it thinking it's just another you know reasonably tough game, maybe not as tough as Australia or South Africa or Argentina. 
they, they they see it in a completely different context where us were facing like this great challenge, this this epic moment in history. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking about it a little bit differently. So New Zealand have the record now, and they have the the 18 wins. Now they're into uncharted territory. So when you're talking about the mental prep and everything like this that goes that is associated with getting ready for the getting to that 18 match, 18th match. So they have that one. Now it's uncharted territory and they talk about controlling their emotions and controlling their thoughts and that's a big differentiator for them against other oppositions. But nobody's been in this position before and I always like Paul O'Connell's expression of going to the well and you know, the, the the well of emotion and experience and everything like that. Nobody has this experience now for the New Zealand, so it's big uncharted territory for them. So there is no roadmap for them to go, well, how do we go to 19, 20, 21? So to me, that is an opportunity for the Irish team. Every, every game that New Zealand play from here on out, in, to my mind, and statistically, there is a higher chance of them losing because nobody's ever done it before. You know, they're not infallible. They're not unbeatable. They are just playing really, really good rugby at the moment, but they are definitely in, in uncharted territory. Is the worry there, though, that there's that eases any sort of pressure on them, that they already have this record, so they could see it as uh, any of these games are just a bonus. So if anything, there'll be, there'll, there'll be no anxiety and they might play even better. Um, yeah, they may get to the 19th, but then what about the 20th? You know, every game going on, how many teams break a record? How many teams break a record that has stood for a substantial amount of time by four or five games usually they get to one or two games you know there probably is historical pre- precedence in all this you know you've seen the Kerrys going for the four in a row or the five in a row you see Dublin now they're going to be they're going to be f- uh, facing similar pressure invariably teams come off the boil because any team success is very rarely linear a, a straight up curve so we're talking that New Zealand have had a huge expan- uh, expansionary period now where they're 18 wins it's highly unlikely, in, in all probabilities, it's highly unlikely that they're going to continue going up. They'll still be the best team in the world, but at some stage they have to come off the boil at some stage. And that's all you're looking for. Is, is there one particular lesson that you've taken from maybe particularly those latter games, 2012, 2013, one thing that we got wrong that's pretty easily rectifiable for this weekend? Um, I scouted, like I, I really did look at those games. Um, the 2012 and the two, it's the first time I've watched either game properly right. I suppose going through and looking for something that you would have done differently something that you would have done something you said that would have given us a comparative advantage I thought we played really well in both games as well as any Irish team has played in those games and in both of them in the 2012 game definitely enough to draw the game potentially a different decision enough to get a kick at goal to win the game um, what do you do how do you play against New Zealand you you attack them I think we attacked in that game we were really accurate we did all we, we tested them we, with speed of ball Sean O'Brien carrying was fantastic but we changed the point of attack we kept them guessing we did all the things we did everything right when we had like at one stage in the game it was 63 minutes in Hamilton eight New Zealand errors handling errors versus three Irish Irish handling errors and that's that's an important stat and that was quite uh, reflective of the, of the game so sometimes you get a bit of luck I would say the composure in the last six or seven minutes in Hamilton probably let us down and we needed to defend as we defended for the previous 73 or 74 minutes in 2013 again looking through the the game 
there's going to be, um, I suppose, ebbs and flows in the momentum and they're going to have a purple patch, we're going to have purple patches. We fought our way back into the game. Anytime they came back in, we fought back. We got back to uh, Johnny's penalty kick at goal. At that at that time, they were they looked like they were getting back into the game. We had a couple of really strong defensive moments and we fought our way back into the game. We defended the offload channel for 90 99% of the game you can see that anybody any there was two offloads stuck before that final passage of play they were all tracked down and the ball was turned over in them so our defensive we never left anybody really with a one-on-one tackle I think there was one box kick where Tommy Bow just threw himself into Sevilla just to slow him down and then he was gobbled up by the two or three defenders in behind it so we did everything really really well, we did everything right to beat New Zealand. So I wouldn't look at that and go, there was something we should have done differently in that game. The only thing about that and comparing that day to the weekend is that arguably we had our great... Neil Francis was saying this week, it might be the greatest ever starting 15 Ireland has played in that 2013 game. And then a number of those players, I'm not saying just because you're here, but yourself, Keane Healy, uh, Paul O'Connell might have had their greatest ever games for Ireland. Like if that's our greatest ever 15 and many of them having near their top two, three performances of all time, and that doesn't win. And this, to me, feels like a weaker team. Um, the, the back rows without Peter Armani and Sean O'Brien um, were a little bit weaker in the back three, in my opinion, depending on who starts. You know, that we're comparing to Ireland's peak, peak time, and this New Zealand team is arguably better than they were then. Yeah, so well, I suppose it depends which way you're looking at it. Are you looking at it from the individual's or the collective performance, and one thing I think that has definitely shifted with the the Joe Schmidt, I suppose, era has been a moving away from an over reliance on individual performances to the collective performance. Um, and you talk to any player, well, New Zealand are the epitome of a collective performance. Um, they create their understanding of. Uh, how, uh, their understanding of moments that happen in a game they all read a moment in the exact same way and it looks like they're almost doing it telepathically right. but they're just reading a moment in the in the same way possible so and on top of that they're very very good individuals I think our collectiveness is better than it ever has been before and I suppose the fibres that kind of gel teams and defensive lines or in, tack li- in attack lines are stronger than they than they have had been it is a shame this game we don't have a full deck of cards to to play from. But again, so do neither do New Zealand. They are missing their three first three second rows um, and being able to target their lineout perhaps or being able to target the lineout draw or the the mall could be something that Ireland go after. Sounds like uh, the centre partnership is probably going to be Henshaw and Jared Payne again with Carney going to full back. That's the talk anyway at the moment. Um, would you have liked to have seen Gary Ringrose come in just as a bit of a bolter for New Zealand? Because while we're all obsessing about him as Irish rugby fans in the last year or so, you'd be pretty confident New Zealand wouldn't know anything about him. Um, too early for him? No, it's um, it's definitely not a too early for Gary. I think he's earned the right to put his hand up for selection. He's been the standout centre in in Ireland so far this year. So um, there is, uh, if um, Brown is playing for... New Zealand, I think he's actually younger than Gary, so mm. I don't think it's anything to do with age. Gary hasn't played, didn't play a lot of rugby last year. You know, he played a, a decent bit of rugby, um, more often than not at the Pro 12 level, 
um, and has got some great ex- exposure to the Irish team uh, now and at the at the Champions Cup level. So he proved himself in two one very open game and one up in one slog fest and he came out with uh, came out with rave reviews from both games. So yeah, he is definitely ready. We're kind of looking from you know behind the looking glass about what Joe is doing and whether he's targeting this game, whether he's targeting the game in 2 weeks time. We did the same in South Africa and it didn't look like he was targeting any games more than others. He we went out to play in all three games. Um the could have been a maybe a bit of what ifs if we'd gone after them in the second test. Altitude may not have. So you know, there's loads of loads of uh, ifs and ands in, in the aftermatch. But he went after all three games. I fully believe he's going after them in this in in this game. Um, do they start Gary Ringrose at thirteen, or do you start Rob Kearney at fifteen and Jared Payne? There's pros and cons to both sides both sides of things. I think the overriding thing is we're going to see Gary Gary Ringrose at some stage in that match and. I really hope that when he comes off the field, that they they will know little or nothing about them. Um, you know, there's that great uh, some one of those a Kiwi a few years ago didn't know who Paul O'Connell was. Um, I really hope when he comes off that pitch, they know exactly who he is. Yeah, that's actually probably not a bad way of earning a bit of respect. And there was a bit of this when Sean O'Brien was ruled out or wasn't picked at the. New Zealanders were shocked about that, probably because he's one of the few players that they would know uh, from their point of view, I guess. They'll also remember them from 2013. Yeah. He was, that was as good as Sean. He was everything. He was the perfect seven. He was the perfect six and a half. He was the perfect six. He played about five different positions in that, in that match. Mm. He was an outside centre. He was just, he was just everywhere. And one of the things I remember when I, when Sean O'Brien, Sean O'Brien was about 18 and he was coming up through the academies and he started training with the senior team. He might've been 19. Um, Remember we played a game of sevens with him, and I would, you know, loosely use the term at my peak. And he, his fitness on the day was just incredible. A fully fit Sean O'Brien is something to behold. He could have played another game of sevens after we played a game, and he was just he just he can keep going. So, Jerome Kano uh, mm. talking about him because. They le- he left his mark on on that match, and when you when you when you leave a mark with the best team in the world, it's usually a good sign. But again, I suppose it highlights how unfortunate we are not to have a fully fit Sean. Do you see any weaknesses in this New Zealand team, and do you think they're the best international side of all time? Um, well, you know, who's going to sit here and say they're not the best side? That they're comfortably ahead in world rankings. They demolished uh, Australia recently. Um, I know Australia were unlucky, but uh, two or three turnovers and they and they go the full like they can turn they can turn it on and just they can just create scores out of nowhere. Um, do they have weaknesses? Yeah, of course they have weaknesses. Um, is there a, one area where you see our, do, is our aerial game significantly better? Are we fitter? Is there one kind of component of the game that you see we have a clear advantage? You mentioned second rows, maybe. No, I don't. I don't see anywhere we have a comparative. Uh, advantage across across the board. Um, I think we have parity in a lot of places. I think we are one of the few teams that can match them for passion, um, and we've shown in recent times that we can match them for accuracy. So, I think our defensive game will be incredibly important in how we can control and frustrate New Zealand, and that is a, that is a key element to it. One of the things they're so 
drilled into and used to is that when they apply pressure, they get scores. If you take that away from them, um, again, you talk the, uh, going to my earlier point about them priding themselves on being able to control their emotions and their thoughts and keep negative thoughts out. If you can control their ability to score points when they really, really want to, it is only natural that doubt starts to creep in and then you create a level playing field and if you can feed in on that. But you are looking for marginal areas to go in after. There's nowhere where you can look across the 15. I would never be naive enough to sit here and say, listen, we're better here, 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 and that's where we're going to attack them. It has to be a collective, full full um, frontal approach at them and try and beat them, man, try and beat them in every moment or every collective issue that comes up. Think we can do it? Um, listen, I'm a... I'm not far. I'm not long enough out of the game to be coldly calculating on, on, on things. I, I I remember because somebody showed me the transcript of my uh, transcript of my interview just before the New Zealand game, and I still have a sporting head on me, and I don't ever remember going into a game where I didn't at least think I could win or we could win, and towards the end of my years on end of my career maybe the second half once I started getting into the swing of things I genuinely believed we could win a game and if you don't believe you can win a game you really shouldn't you really shouldn't be there because you know not I'm going to start quoting movies here now but on any given Sunday anything can happen like the a bounce of a ball we we saw what happened in 2013 20 more seconds and we and we and we win the game not comfortably but but we 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 win it i'm i'm always a glass half full kind of a guy i think if we if we frustrate them if we play to our best game that we know we have to play if we play it for 80 minutes or 81 minutes given to take the referee out of it i i fully i fully believe we can we we can win Okay, that's good enough for us. Get a bit of optimism going, Gordon. Great to see you as always. Thanks, Emil. Thanks, guys. We are here now working on a record called The Gang's All Here. Would you like to give us uh, a preview of this disc? Uh, we'll let give us Come on, let's give them a preview. We, we'll do a lot better if we had the music here with us. Right, we're going to do it. We'll, we'll try music. now. Hey, hey, the gang's all here. Join in the fun. Hey, hey, the gang's all here. We're going to swing as one. How you like that? <laughs> I'll see you guys later. All right, Sam. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Cass. You're welcome. All right. I lost my words, really. I'm over the moon. Emotional. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Blue, blue, electric blue. That's the color of my room where I will live. Killian shoots. Oh, he's hooked it away to the left and wide. How difficult it is, Keith. They're known for being cheats. They'll always be cheats. How much the boxing stinks from the core right there on top. I will sit right down. Wow. Waiting for the gift of sound. 20 years we've been waiting for this, and, and at last we've got that Olympic medal. I will see. Waiting for the gift of sound and vision. Patrick Hickey, the president of Ireland's Olympic Drifting Committee, has been arrested. They're all pumped. They're all just head force. Don't you wonder sometimes about sound and vision? 
Murph, snap out of it there. What are you up to? I've lost you. Oh, sorry, sorry, Owen. Sorry. What are you? I'm just rereading again Oshin McConville's Kabaddi College in our new album, new album, new <laughs> annual, the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 2, available to pre-order now on secondcaptains.com. Uh, did you know, for instance, Owen, that Cross McLean once won a minor title in 1994 completely in Kabaddi attire, and the people of Cross McLean often dressed as Kabaddi players to confuse British Army helicopters during the same period. <laughs> <laughs> did not know that, but that is the sort of insight you can get in the Second Captain's Sports Annual Volume 2, mm. available to pre-order now on secondcaptains.com, Owen. You can also get real information in there, such as Michael Conlon's reactions. To, you heard the, a little bit of a clip of him there, the infamous interview after he lost his fight in the Olympic Games. I went up to Belfast to his home to have a chat with him, and he was... Pretty uh, pretty forthcoming, as you would imagine, as he usually is. Really had a lot of interesting stuff to say, particularly I thought about, I don't know if you read the Pete Taylor criticism of how the team was trained and managed in Rio. I put it to Conlon and he didn't hold back in his response there. Had a lot of other interesting uh, interesting insights into what exactly happened over in Rio to the Irish boxing team. So that uh, book is in stock now. I should mention that we've been carrying boxes uh, working work the upper body today, Murph. Usually we're on lower body stuff, but we've been working the upper body today by carrying books upstairs in our office. It looks great. It smells good and it reads pretty well as well. So get on to secondcaptains.com to have a look at all that. Let's get the perspective now. After a nice positive outlook from Gordon Darcy on Saturday's match, the perspective of a man who lined up against Gordon and Ireland on a number of occasions, a World Cup winner in 2011 with the All Blacks, three-time European Cup winner with Toulon. Talking to us today from Paris, Ali Williams, how are you? Good evening, lads. How are we? Ah, pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? How's life in Paris? Ah, it's not too bad. Not too bad. I mean, it's always a, it's always a good day. Always feeling down, and you 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 charge into training, and and there's that one Irish legend that just gleams at you, and and Ronan O'Gara oh, yeah. always makes it a better <laughs> better place. Yeah, how's Ronan to work with? Ah, he's great. He's a great man. It's, uh, I think for me, it's been one of the real special elements of coming over to Europe and playing is that. You get to know these guys that you played against for so long, and uh, you know, in position where I am with with Ronan, you get to understand the character a lot more. You, mm. you know the guy as a character on the field, but off the field, you get to understand him a lot more. And he's, uh, he's a great man, great man, good uh, good sense of humour, and quite a serious rooster, which we like. <laughs> You'd actually re- retired before um, starting up again with uh, Racing Metro. What was uh, what was behind the decision to come back? Yeah, you're very true there. No, I had, um, you know, it was all curtains for me, but one of those things that you, you sort of learn that never say never. And I went through discussions. I was working with the club um, at a, in a minor role, more commercial than anything um, last year. And then this season, you know, I spoke with the president and we sort of talked about president, coach. We talked about options of, of me coming back and, and playing and, and supporting the, the playing roster and, you know, that's that's sort of what I'm doing at the moment. So uh, 
like anything, um, you know, it has its challenges to start with, but I'm thoroughly enjoying it, running around with the lads. And, you know, yeah. when everyone says, you know, we work, that's a load of rubbish. We, uh, we live the dream. We don't, we don't work at all. It's, it's so much fun just doing what we do. There's tough times in it, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. So are you still Dan Carter's minder off the field? Uh, are you combining I've both roles? Been, I've always been Dan Carter's minder off the field. <laughs> um, hence why he's such a squeaky clean young fella. And yeah. um, I've taken all the grief for his uh, misdemeanors. Um, no, mate, look, that was that was purely more um, a miscommunication rather than anything. Look, I, I look after and look for some commercial opportunities for him. Um, that's that's about it. But look, he's he's got his his agents and things like that, and we're more than anything. We're just we're just great mates, and um, I love I love seeing the the guys succeed and, and things like that. So it's all good. Let's talk about this game on Saturday, Ali. Sean Fitzpatrick says if any team is going to end New Zealand's record run of Test wins this year, it's Ireland. But that's only because the All Blacks' other opponents are Italy and France, and he doesn't see too much coming from either of those. Nobody's really giving us much of a hope. Uh, is this? Are you going along with this consensus that's building? I mean, you'd be pretty well placed to talk about it. That this is the greatest New Zealand team ever. Look, in terms of results, for sure. I think um, you you can't argue with what they're doing in terms of the points they're scoring, the victories. I mean, they've got the the world record now. Um, I think you know. I think it's hard to for me. It's always been hard to compare eras, so it's hard to compare whether this is the greatest team ever. In terms of whether at the moment and the records, well, yes, it, it it's clear that it is the greatest team. But eras, combinations, and things like that do change. So putting that tag on is hard. I think more coming from an All Black point of view. I think. What's the most impressive thing is that it's 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 growing the the All Black legacy and the legacy is just continuously growing, regardless of the personnel. So, you know, the mantra that we live by, where it's it's not the individual um, in the jersey, it's it's the jersey and the and the team is is getting stronger and stronger. And you know, for past players and current players, I think that's the most rewarding thing. And then, you know, the byproduct of that is. One, the results, and two, you're getting world-class individuals more and more um, world-class individuals playing in the team. So, yeah, yeah, it's hard to argue that you know they're they're doing things wrong. Yeah, no, they they certainly aren't. And the, I mean, what was most impressive during the Super Rugby campaign was when a team is on the brink of history like that and we've obviously seen it with New Zealand in, in World Cups over the years up until you guys finally got over the line that can sometimes be a bit suffocating it can sometimes affect the way the, the team operates the level they operate at in this case it didn't at all I don't know if they were inspired by this idea of going for the world record of um, uh, of wins or what it was but it you know this average margin of nearly 30 points a game is staggering uh, they didn't exactly fall over the line is what I'm saying yeah, yeah, that's you're right there. Um, look, I think I think the biggest All Blacks' biggest fear is is they let each other down, um, and you can see that's that's relevant in the in the current crop because they just want to perform for each other. And I don't know the answer in terms of how they why they're getting better, um, but they definitely are, and they've definitely got more combinations. Um, and and the fact that you lose so many senior players, but yet replace them with I wouldn't say junior players, but 
but younger players less experienced and for them to step up when needed is is really rewarding and you know they they're just embracing the challenge and embracing the uh, the the mantra and the role that they're on at the at the moment and you know as as you say I think the key element for me is when turnover ball happens they're playing with no um, no conscious fear fear of failure they're, they're just they're just playing they want to they want to express themselves so that's that's the great sign I think so you're right you know they don't feel burdened by it. If if you were in the Ireland management setup this week or one of the senior players facing this current New Zealand team, what way would you approach them? Do you see any weaknesses, any obvious areas you can attack them? Well, look, you've always known that I'm a slightly different type of rugby player, so I would probably bring up Joe Smith and say, hey, look, we're in Chicago once. Why don't we all get together for a dinner and um, we'll supply some quality Guinness and um, we'll see how hungover we can get you and Maybe give it a crack. That jeez, way. Jeez, that's, old, that's old strategy. school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we've caught a few teams out in that over the years, but not for a long time, unfortunately. Yeah. That's is the mid nineties. Uh, yeah, that you have the good people of Munster almost caught us out a few years ago. Yeah, didn't yeah. They? Oh, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that would be one strategy I'd do. I, I think the other one is look, like anything, if you sit back and you defend and you wait for the victory to come in terms of stopping them attack, then I think you're that's not the style. I think you've just got to go out and, and play and play within yourself because yeah, as long as if you don't have the players um, to compete one-on-one, you, you do, and we've all known that. But it's as a team and as a mindset, you've got to go into the match thinking that you can win. Um, and if you carry that, carry that uh, mental state, then anything can happen. Um, it's like anything. Any team, any team is moments away from a defeat and they consciously know that. Ali, we we have, you know, you sometimes hear when Ireland are playing New Zealand, on this side we get this feeling that New Zealand players would be motivated by the fear of losing to Ireland, not the, the fear of losing to Ireland, but the idea that they would be the first team ever to lose to an Irish team. You know, that we've been in different stratospheres pretty much our entire rugby um, existences is that actually the case? You played them a number of times. I think we came. You played in 2012 when we came quite close. Dan Carter got that drop goal. Did you consciously think yourself we can't lose to this team because New Zealand teams have never done so in the past? It is there. Yep. And I'd be lying to say that um, it's not there. It is there. You you do think about it, and you and as you say, it, it drives you on during the week. It makes you train harder. It makes you um, just a little bit more on edge. Uh, which I think is a great thing. Um, in the game, you know, we're, we're purely process focused. We, we don't think about the outcome. We let the outcome take care of itself, and um, you know, we we go through the what we need to do. Um, but I, I think it is a it is quite a respectful element from both sides. More than anything, one is the Irish want to be that team wants to be the first crop, and the All Blacks don't want to be the first crop to lose. So I, I think it's quite a unique little rivalry. Um, I do prefer being on this side of the bridge with the All Blacks rather than the Irish side of the bridge because it is a hard hard one to swallow. We spoke to Joshua Marshall about this a few years ago and he said when they're facing Ireland and Scotland, two teams they've never lost to, it's a different sort of motivation. It's It's a fear of embarrassment, whereas when they're facing, say, England or South Africa, it's this rivalry, it's the intensity, but it, they come from a different place when they face teams like Ireland. 
Yes and no. I mean, one is, you know, the, the competitive landscape's got a lot more um, advanced now. You know, all these players are playing on the same circuit in terms of internet, in terms of uh, club rugby and the like. So, and professional has moved on. So I think there's an element of it, but I, I don't think it's that relevant. I think, I mean, Ireland in their own right have been an amazing team and contributed to world rugby like, like no other side. And they're so unique. And, the fact that we haven't lost is is unique, but I don't know. I mean, I would I I, I feared it. They, I'm sure they fear it of losing, being that first team to lose. What's the what's the mindset? I think it's all different for every individual, but uh, you definitely don't want to be the first because you know, as we say in New Zealand, it's it's in our blood, and um, it affects our GDP if we lose. The All Blacks lose it. Um, you know, it's, it's it's major if we lose, if the All Blacks lose a match. It's a major thing. In any walk of life, though, if you've never lost to somebody, it must be hard to respect that opposition. It, it's impossible to tell yourself, these guys are really a rival. I disagree. You've never been shot before. If you walk into a into a gunfight with a knife and you get shot, well, you, you're going to know about it, aren't you? <laughs> um, no, look, if you... If you don't respect your opposition, then you're not a rugby player. That's well, that's why rugby is the best game in the world, because everyone goes onto a rugby field respecting each other and wanting to play as hard as they possibly can for that win. But um, you, you take nothing for granted. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but there's, there's definitely no way. There's no respect for a team that just because they haven't been you. I mean, the individuals alone. I mean. Look at some of the superstars. I mean, for me, one of my, one of my biggest opponents was uh, Paul O'Connell. I mean, I, I was so excited when I played the Irish because I, I knew I got to play against one of the best in the world. I mean, the respect there was huge. It didn't even come into my, my thinking, oh, well, he's never beaten me. Ali, uh, would, is there an argument that Ireland will be better served here by, putting out, by coming up with a strategy that is intent on limiting the damage? I know that's quite defeatist, uh, but, you know... We've seen New Zealand wipe the floor with some with with the Southern Hemisphere teams, and there's a fear that that's going to happen again. Is it possible to go in into a, ma- a rugby match with that mindset? No, no. Well, it's the wrong it's the wrong mindset. It's definitely the wrong mindset. If you don't attack, then you're not you're not creating fear in the in the opposition. And if there's no fear of fear from the opposition that you could generally score points, then they're at their own liberty to dictate the, the pace of the game. and When you're not dictating the pace of the game or can't handle the pace of a the game, then, uh, then you just have no control. Mm. So, so for me, that they want to be pushing things. They want to be playing at a tempo or a style that suits them best. But they always want to have an attacking mindset that we're going to win this game. We're not, we're not here to alleviate the damage. Yeah, it's a little bit different from football even maybe when you can just sort of put 11 men behind the ball and, and make it difficult. Tell us, what's your what's your prediction? Um, I think uh, starting from, from from backwards, I think it's going to be a great night for everyone. I think the Chicago crowd will thoroughly enjoy it. I think the Irish supporters will probably have the upper hand um, later in the evening. Um, but I think during the match, I think the All Blacks will probably Come strong. I think it'd be quite a tight match to start with in the first 20, 30 minutes. And then I think um, where I'm thinking is that the fitness and the actual pace of the game 
um, will help the All Blacks and they'll they'll potentially run away with it depending on um, conditions. Is it an indoor stadium? No. Mm. No, no, it's not an indoor stadium. No, 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 no Soldier Field, no. It's not. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, if it's fine weather, I think in the, that sort of 50 to 60, 70 minute mark, I think the All Blacks will really try and put the, the foot down and, and play with a fast tempo. Do you want to give us a score and margin of victory? I give a score and margin. I might never be able to drink in Ireland again. I quite enjoy drinking. We want something. Ireland, we want so. something to pin up on the wall, you know, to send over. We want a, a sixty-point margin of victory from Andy you Williams. You want one of those send classic headlines that motivate yeah. the. Yeah, uh, exactly. Irish. Yeah, arrogant New Zealander. Uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah. it says it's going to be a hundred points. Been, I've been caught out by the French before, English, <laughs> so I, I, I choose to, uh, okay. to keep the Irish on side this time. But look, I think yeah. it's going to be a comfortable win for the uh, right. for the All Blacks purely by the tempo that they play it. Yeah, nicely handled. Uh, nothing to stick up on the wall there. Listen, Ali Williams, great to catch up with you. I hope life is is going well in Paris. Thanks very much. Cheers, lads. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What's the sound of a balloon deflating, Murph? Because that's <laughs> my Cubs-based confidence, which was mm. bolstered by the outlook of Gordon Darcy, has just been pricked by Ali Williams there. Too polite, Simon, to give a score prediction. I'd love to know what that score he had in his head was that he didn't want <laughs> 30, to tell the Irish people uh, the next time he I, saw them. Yeah, anything anything less than, like, we were talking the other day and both of you were, were saying a great result would be a 20-point well, defeat. Uh, Acceptable. Yeah. Acceptable. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't I'm, be I'm not saying that's a great result. I'm saying, okay, that's about where we are. I'm so, not going to be happy with that, though. And that's, that's the level of optimism that, that's over. I'm thinking Ali might have been thinking somewhere in the 40 range. Just <laughs> I think so, too. want to say it there. Uh, as Gordon Darcy said, though, Simon, so, New Zealand, the players have to relax that focus eventually. They, and they will. Uh, they will play badly again at some point. We just got to hope that... So we got to hope that we do all we can. We are essentially near as near flawless as possible so that we're in a position that if they do malfunction, we can take advantage. Because they could malfunction and if we don't play to the best of our game, we lose by 20 points anyway. Well, that's it. The, the one constant that has to be there is all the Ireland players play close to their potential as they did in 2013. I don't think we have as much talent uh, as we did that day, but some of the variables that are there that wouldn't exist in a normal game, it's in Chicago. Uh, they've just broken an all-time record. This is kind of the end of their season. Ireland have Joe Schmidt. There's always, uh, you know, there's a little more criticism of Joe Schmidt in the last couple of years since the World Cup, but ultimately he's one of the top two or three coaches in the world. He has prepared brilliantly for a New Zealand game before this. So if you're looking for a few strands there, that's them, but ultimately it comes down to Ireland playing brilliantly and New Zealand have an off day. Those two things need to happen. Neither team will have any sleep between now and the game because of the celebrations going on in the city. So that's good. That's an equaliser. If both teams are completely sleep deprived for three days before a match, I always feel that that's or at least a couple of days. It's always <laughs> it's always a nice way of levelling things out. What was that stuff about Dan Carter? You were the, being Dan Carter's minor? Well, The Guardian and various other reputable publications, uh, when Ali Williams first retired he was then brought in Dan Carter had so much to deal with off the field apparently at Racing Metro with media corporate stuff that he needed it was officially a minder an off field minder and okay. Ali Williams was hired on that basis um, he disputed he, specifically he, the what he was doing but he was involved in a commercial yeah. capacity hang out and keep Dan Carter have a posse essentially a one man posse <laughs> he's back playing now that's pretty much it uh, volume 2 to the second captain sports annual is in stock secondcaptains.com is a place to go to get it our football podcast is out now while I'm promoting things Dion Fanning was in studio to talk about the Martin O'Neill versus Ronald Koeman war of words which is escalating by the day 
Nobody knows where it'll end. And Andrew Mangan of Ars Blog was in to chat about the greatest goal ever scored, or at least the greatest goal scored this week in the Champions League by Mesut Ozil. Thanks, Simon. Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, 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 Simon. Thanks, everyone. Cheers for listening. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.